Hey everybody, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. And I'm Molly. And if this is your first time joining us, thanks for being here. We are a usually happily married couple with <laughs> usually four children. Always ages four children. 12 through uh, 4. 11 through 4. He's 11? not 12 yet. Oh, 11, right. Not 12 yet. He's taking He's not Hunter's. Not 12 yet. I'm not, I'm not 12 yet. He's taking Hunter safety right now, so it's basically like 12. Um, you have to be 12, for those of you who don't know this, you have to be 12 by the end of the hunting season for which you are taking Hunter safety. Yes. And he will turn 12 in December. And like a, like a ski season, they qualify it by, you know, fall, like 20, it's the 22, 23 hunting season. Um, so yeah, if this is your first time joining us, Molly and I typically don't rehearse our conversations. We don't plan things out. We just spring things on each other to keep things fun and interesting. And I was told today, Molly, that, um, Stacy started listening to us. So I'll give a shout out to Stacy. I was meeting a friend for, uh, a pastor and a friend for, um, some guns and whiskey. And he, um... Mentioned that we have a very yin and yang thing going on. He sees like, you know, I don't want to presume on Molly, but if the Venn diagram were to overlap, um, you, we don't she have would, much she would be, <laughs> no, she would be like, I know, I know, like I'm your wife and I will submit, but I'm not going to put up with your BS. So I'm going to call you out on it when I need to call you out on it. <laughs> and he, he referenced a couple of, I will submit episodes. once I manipulate you into doing what I want. <laughs> Is that what that means? There's Genesis 3 played out. <laughs> Once I convince you that I'm right. I'm not manipulating. I'm convincing. No. Well, we all need feedback. Like, you need to tell me things. Because right, I don't want to make... Like, I'm trying to make... With you... That is why God said in Genesis 2, it is not good for a man to be alone. And that is also why he says in Ephesians, whatever it is, because I forgot... Um, as men and husbands of our household, we need to make decisions for the with our wives and family's best interests in mind. And dying to And self. unless I'm plugged in to you and our family, I'm not going to be able to make make those decisions. But I don't have the good news is, babe, I don't have to make all the decisions in a vacuum. I can be like, honey, what should I do? And, and you'll I'll be, be like, like, I have no idea. I don't know. I I don't know. Life is too hard. I give up. So Titus, you guys, you'll like this on that note. Let's talk about Hunter safety and the fact that this is his first classroom experience. Guys, Titus has been homeschooled his entire <laughs> life. And I forget how weird it is for a kid who, and we, we've done homeschool co-ops, mm-hmm. but one of them, it's not really a co-op. The Audubon class is outside, just kind of freewheeling, a bunch of homeschool kids, we started speaking, which we started a new Audubon session on Tuesday, and man, it is a homeschooly bunch. Okay, it is let's, fantastic. Let's pause the discussion really quick. One housekeeping item: you'll note today is Friday. We have because of Audubon on Tuesdays and every other week co-op on Tuesday mornings. We have to move our recording time of the podcast, so We're it's tr- going to be later in the week. We this haven't week settled has been on a, more not so than normal. Because and of, I was angry and depressed yesterday, so I didn't want to record yesterday afternoon. Nobody wanted that. Yeah, something else was happening too. You were angry and depressed, and you had to take Titus to the shooting range. I didn't have to. I wanted to. I'd rather go shoot guns. You actually needed to because True. he needs to be familiar with the gun for field day on And he hasn't used Saturday. it at all this year. He used it a, used it a bunch also, last year. This is off the topic of the podcast, but while I have you here, he holds it against his bicep. He doesn't tuck the butt of the gun into his we, shoulder where he's supposed to. We... Worked on that yesterday at okay. the range on the bench. Because he, when I, he told me his bicep was bruised and sore. And I was like, that means you're holding your gun wrong. I'm mm-hmm. not an expert here. But yeah. even I can tell no, you that. And he was like, no, I hold it right. And I was like, okay, we're going to, I'm going to discuss this with your dad. But your bicep should not be bruised from shooting a rifle. My shoulder's sore right there. Yeah, but um, it should be in here, right. not out here. Yeah, or a little bit higher. Um, Yes, no, I agree. Um, So, guys, just a quick side note. The podcast is going to be later in the week now, so this kicks that off. We haven't settled on a day or a time, but we we will. So, back to Hunter Safety and Titus's first ever classroom experience because he's a homeschooled nerd. 
Yeah. So the closest he's gotten to a traditional classroom experience would probably be Sunday school and where you have to raise your hand in order to speak. And the so we walked into this high school where the class is being held and it's all weird to him. And the the class is run by a bunch of volunteers, first of all, which is fantastic. All what? Fish wildlife. Ralph, game. Doug. But they're all volunteers. They're not fish wildlife. Ralph, they have Doug, Jennifer Wayne? I don't know the other two guys' names. But there's five very, very seasoned hunters. And if you don't believe me, just ask them. <laughs> They've rotated days. JR's, JR only took Titus on Monday. I took him to the to the intro night last Tuesday, and then I've taken him the rest of the week because JR has been taking the girls to judo and other things for the rest of the week. Tonight is his test. I will take him because JR... His written test. His written test. JR and the girls have judo belt tests. So we are we are now one of those families that's running literally to opposite ends of town. 30 minutes. You're going 30 minutes east. We're going almost opposite ends of the county right now. Yes, actually. You're going 30 minutes east. I'm going 30 minutes west every day this week, almost. But So the lead instructor is a guy named Ralph, near far as I can tell. And he's 60s, gray hair. Late 60s, early 70s. Big handlebar mustache. He has a hat. That says Semper Fi. Okay, he has he on his belt. The night I went, he wore a he had a bunch of old school leather holsters that are empty because this is They're being empty. held in a school. Yeah, so you can tell one is distinctly for a revolver, a snub nosed revolver. He doesn't keep a semi auto in there, and then he's I don't know if the other one's a handcuff or what's going on, but he says things like suffering Tomcats. And you're like, who says suffering Tomcats? Ralph does. Ralph does. Ralph does. He's like, you got to speak up because I can't hear you very well. I don't have any good ears. And, and, you're like, and we have one girl, at least one girl in the class, she's in high school, who has an anxiety problem because <laughs> she started to give an answer once and there was a fan blowing in the back of the classroom and Ralph made some hand gesture while she tried to speak up for the first time in this three hour class and it just completely shut her down. And he was like, I just can't hear you. Speak up. And she just, she literally could not say the words that she and he's, was finally and you can only pass, attempting to You're say. only going to pass if you have good participation in the class, which no. includes answering questions. Suffering, Tomcats. <laughs> I find, okay, the, this has actually been a source of great reflection for me because I've been sitting in. Molly because, hates it. She's filled with anxiety. Well. It's it's turned from there's some anxiety. It's kind of like the stages of grief, but it's the stages of experiencing hunter safety. Uh, just the f- night one was bewilderment. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the orientation night the whole week before actual class. Where right? where they all had their catchphrases, and Ralph's catchphrase was, "If you're on time, you're late." You show up for this class 15 to 20 minutes early and I'll consider you on time. Oh, I hate it. You no, know, if you're on time, you're on time. Didn't you and and last night we showed up at 6:15 and Jennifer had a six-page handout about being a woman in the woods that she was <laughs> awesome. reading through and I at first I thought it was kind of and she had she had things to show in her suitcase that she brings to class. So for women who are uncomfortable pulling their pants down and squatting in the woods, you can go to REI and look around at all these or buy on Amazon and you could come up to the desk and look at them after the fact. And if you're in bear country, you know, you you a bear can smell blood from like a mile away. And apparently, did you know this? I think actually, I actually I like this because I, these ex- are things I never would have thought. It about. was ex- it was actually very interesting. But we showed up six six fifteen, and we were late for her bit. And <laughs> remember the night we got home the night before, and she had told people she was going to come prepared to share this. Uh-huh. And there are there are four girls in the class, so it was relevant for them, and they're all old enough to where they're menstruating and that word when she mentioned menstruating the night before so Wednesday night she said she was going to discuss this just went right over Titus's head because he doesn't hear that word much and then I was like you know when he's in a family full of girls when he's gonna know he's getting when when he said I said so I said we don't need to show up for what what the lady is teaching she's thinking about things like girls and having their periods in the woods he goes periods of what <laughs> <laughs> and i was like okay 
Deep breath. Periods of bleeding, son. Titus. Periods of bleeding. A woman's body gets ready to have a baby every single month. And if she's not pregnant, when her body is like, and she does that by the lining of your uterus just fills with blood. And if she is not pregnant, it needs fresh blood the next month. So it empties through her vagina. And he was like, oh, <laughs> kind of ran away. And I was like, so that's what she's going to be talking about on Thursday night before class is if you're in bear country and you're bleeding, you have to have a plan to deal with this. And so it was actually very interesting because, you know, if you're camping in bear country and you you have to store your food 100 yards away from you, 10 feet up and in a branch four feet over. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's in the hunter safety guide. Titus has to know those numbers for his test tonight. But your menstrual products that are used because it's pack in, pack out have to be sealed up at that same distance from you because... That screams dinner. The smell of blood screams dinner to a bear. Did you know also that Yellowstone National Park relocates its problem bears? Do you know where they send a lot of their problem bears? California. The Priors. Really? Problem grizzly bears from Yellowstone National Park often end up. Why do they do that? 50 miles south of Billings. Why do they do that? Because it's a not frequently accessed... Mountain range where they can send bears that are used to interacting with people and have become a problem to a mountain range where there's not a lot of people and not a lot of recreation. Wow. Priors have it. If you're local, priors have a ton of recreation. Well, but not many people go to them. People go to the bear tooths. People go to the crazies. Interesting. So speaking of difficult conversations with kids, um, you guys at least walked in on us having sex the other day. I have not had that conversation. Have you talked to? Have you followed up? I have Molly not. gave me a dirty look when, when <laughs> I went to go try to. I, she needs to have these conversations. Dad cannot be allowed to explain these things yeah. to their kids. You know, she does Kinovox. She's smart. So we talked about this and realized. Molly I goes, like oh, nuance of course better. It's, of course, of, it's of all Elise. the kids that are going to open the door, that's it's, not locked. It's Elise. I was totally, uh, totally my fault. But I mentioned to her that I was like, I can't remember even how I brought it up, but I said we were having sex and she goes, what's sex? And I said, well, sex is what men and women do to have children. And when you're not having children, it's a ton of fun. (laughs) And I left it right there. Uh, Molly goes, what? Really? (laughs) You what? Ugh. This is the girl who it just seems more aware of physical sensations in her body than our other kids. And yes, I will. I was trying to be honest and forthright. It's fine. I I intend to have a follow up conversation with her. I we we've actually had quite a few things going on in our lives like that lately. I I purchased. I'm going to send you the links for this. So. The American Girl World Mm -hmm. Publishing Branch publishes puberty, just called, like, taking care of your body and understanding what's happening Mm -hmm. to your body books that Canavox moms that have gone through this with teenage girls really like. The girl one is called The Care Care and Keeping of You, and it's, uh, American Girl is now you can't trust the thing, the books. Super woke. The, it's not super woke. I mean, it's it's just average woke. Like, okay. you know, it's average. Normal woke. It's average American woke. But you can't get a new book that they've published about some new doll. Say the newest doll's name is Caitlin. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't follow these things very closely, but our girls get the catalogs. And then you, and then there's four novels, short novels, published about Caitlin and her life. And, you know, her life is... I'm just totally making this up, but as a as a girl in Portland, you know, in the 1980s or something, here's Caitlin in Portland in the 1980s, and she's wearing a tie-dye shirt, and her cup has a bird on it, and I guess that would be Caitlin missed, in the 90s. I miss the 90s Portland. Portland. But, so you know, so, so, so then in the book, Caitlin probably has two moms in the new American Girl stuff. You can't trust that you can just hand an, a new American Girl book to your kids and it's going to be trustworthy. These books, there's a girl one called The Care and Keeping of You. And off the top of my head, I can't remember what the boy one was, 
but I ordered it because I saw it recommended by somebody I follow on Instagram. And Titus at 11 is just getting to the cusp of... I just thought it would be helpful. I was asking him this morning on our way back from Bible study if he was working on growing his beard out yet. It's called Guy Stuff, the body book for boys. And it's written by the same woman, I believe, who wrote the the Care and Keeping of You girl book. And it just seemed fairly solid. And it seemed like the sort of thing that I haven't actually read it. So I can't 100% vouch for it. Are I should. You... I just, I'm, I can't even keep... Are, are you laundry? ordering these to like have him go through them, or are you ordering these to just kind of preview for cane box type stuff? No, I'm having them for art. So I, I, they came in the mail, and I sent, I gave Lily the girl one, and I gave Tito the boy one. You're texting them to me. Yes, uh, I just did off this. of Amazon. That's what you guys are hearing the dings from. Whoops. The no, I, I want them to feel equipped ahead of time. You know, Titus is it, Titus is eleven. Yeah. He knows he knows just generically that eventually these he's going to start turning into more of a man. We tease him about growing a beard. I texted my brother to ask when he started shaving, and he said sixth grade. I'm fairly certain that was a text conversation wow. I had with my brother. But it was because there was a kid in his class who was actually two years older than he was. Mm-hmm. My brother skipped a grade, and this other kid had been held back a grade. So he was two years older than he was. And he's he was a very hairy guy by the time we were all in high school together. Gotcha. But he was very hairy. So my brother said it was probably a little bit premature by a year or so. But Titus, that means Titus is only a year off. I was of- just I was talking with uh, my friend today. Um who we do Bible study with, with our boys. And he was saying that one of his kids he hadn't talked to in like a year or two years. And he'd gone from being as tall as his son, which who's like as tall as Titus, maybe five, five foot two, to being six foot three in the matter of like two years. And yep. I'm like, boy. So Titus went, speaking of kids and girl spurts, Titus, whenever you're going to church on Sunday or something, and he goes, hey, mom, I need some more jeans. I only have one pair of jeans that fit. And he hands me this stack of jeans that he has not attempted to wear all summer because he's down to one pair of jeans that fit him. Dang. And <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I made him stand up against the tape that I have on the wall from when last spring in school when I was making him convert inches to feet and inches and centimeters and things like that. And he's he's grown probably an inch since last spring. Everybody, Elise has grown the least, and everybody had to see how much they've grown, and they've all grown about an inch or more. Elise has grown the least. She's still grown, and she was really upset. And I told her, just wait, that you're you're on the cusp of a big girl spurt then. You're not going to be a runt mm. compared to your siblings. Oh, you guys, speaking of growing up and not growing hair, but so apparently yesterday... Faith and Lily were out on a pedal bike, and Faith so far has only ridden a Strider. And Lily was trying to work with her on riding, uh, riding this pedal bike, and Faith wasn't quite getting it. And then apparently Lily turned to go do something, and without knowing it, Faith just started pedaling and took off the other direction. So, and so Faith, Faith can is, now ride a pedal bike. Yeah, Faith is riding. A She's pedal not bike. very good at stopping, but she can go. That's okay. That's fine. She just needs to go. She'll figure out the stopping part. She needs shoes and a helmet. Fall over into the grass. That, something like that. Okay, so I promised people, I teased people in our Telegram about some new uh, praying mantis information uh. that I have. I We caught a praying mantis the other day, and Elise fed it a grasshopper, and it gobbled it up right away. And then she went out and caught another grasshopper and it ate another one. And then she went out and she came in with an almost two-inch grasshopper. It was giant. And she put it in the jar with the praying mantis. And I said, Elise, praying mantises in the wild probably eat a grasshopper every two or three days. And you're giving it this absolutely giant one for its third while we've been had it. It's not going to eat it. And the, it feels kind of cruel to put Elise this grasshopper in there. And sure enough, you guys all, where did you go? You Did you leave? I don't know where you went. You guys were gone. And maybe it was you guys had left for judo, and I still had a few minutes before I had to take Titus to hunter safety. Sure enough, 
it starts going to town on grasshopper number three. And it's a little bit wild to watch a praying mantis eat a grasshopper because they just start eating like it's corn on the cob. They don't kill it. And they they just they don't kill it. So the grasshopper just sits there with its legs still kicking, but the praying mantis's arms have it in this death grip, but not death grip because it's not dead. And it's the grasshopper's eyes are kind of wide open. I don't know if they close their eyes anyway. I mean, I, I need know. to Google that anyway. You, it's weird. Like they, it's, they be, it's weird. They very much eat grasshoppers alive. It, they very much feel like you're watching an alien at work. So very much. the last one we had would start. This might get too many. Those of you are sensitive. Anna, uh, sorry. Might need to like pause this for a second or fast forward. But the first praying mantis we had this had year. A, no, the first one oh, we the had very first one. would would pick it up like corn on the cob and start kind of just below the head at, at where the back your, of the skull where your neck would be, yeah. kind of your spinal column, your C, you know, C one through if, you know one through five vertebrae. Grasshoppers or were vertebrates. If ga- yeah, if gas grasshoppers had that, so it, it would it would literally eat Straight out down the back like a middle. You'd see the head and then this giant scoop and then the back. This one that we found apparently liked to the start in the belly. Underside. <laughs> the soft underside of the belly. So it would start there. And Molly sends me this video and I'm like, what nastiness is coming? And it's like slurping the something. She's like, oh, that's its spinal cord. And it's moving it out of the way or something it, before. Like, well, it ate all the way down. Oh. It ate all the way down from the head to the end of the abdomen and then where a grasshopper's wings kind of fold over the abdomen it then sucked the innards out of the abdomen it was oh, nasty no but okay guys. so so anyway <laughs> the moral of this story is oh. by the time it's most of the way through grasshopper number three i'm like this belly is absolutely giant and Elise kept referring to it as a he and I thought, is it a male or a female praying mantis? Because if it's a female, maybe it's eating all of this to get the energy to produce and lay a bunch of eggs. So I, I Googled it. And you can tell the difference between male and female praying mantises primarily because now I don't have this off the top of my head because I didn't. It's the number of segments that are in its abdomen are different if it's a male or a female. And let me see if I can pull this up. It was shorter if it was a male, right? Yeah, I think it has more segments if it's a female. If it's a male, oh. and the other, so the so the gut, the belly, abdomen part tends to be bigger on a female because it's got, got the eggs inside. Right. The wings of a female don't extend past the tip of its abdomen where the wings of a male do. Oh, interesting. Male praying mantises can fly. Female praying mantises can kind of use their wings kind of like chicken wings where they can't really fly. But if you see one just flying through the air, which is rare and weird, that's a male. The female's bodies are too heavy and their wing to body ratio is not right for them to fly. Fascinating. Um, Do you think they have the choice to change genders? They just decide they want to be something else. No, it's not like a clownfish. Clownfish can change genders. And so can humans. A... A cl- clownfish can actually reproduce, begin male. Also, oh, can, ho- so can Homo sapiens. No, they can't. The <laughs> that's what they want the you to believe. Male praying mantis has eight body segments, and the female praying mantis has six body segments. So I counted mm. the one that we had, and she had six body segments. And I think Elise then named her Edna, and then let her go. Has she been reading The Far Side? No, Literally, I think true. there's a the praying mantis, mantis named Edna. Edna. That's hysterical. <laughs> uh, so here's the th- here's the other wow. thing that I started thinking about. So if you've been following along with the praying mantis learning exploration, what did we say? Episode sixty three was the first one remember. where you call them sex starved cannibalistic aliens. Aliens. So remember the just for a little refresher if you're new here. A little refresher. If you, yeah. A a female praying mantis. Bites the head off of the male praying mantis while they are mating, and somehow that provides her with good nutrients to continue on. And the male can continue on with mating after his head is gone. Well, he's got his other head gone. Here's the thing, though, that made me so interested, because my kids are also for school. We are supposed to be, and by this I mean 
I have assented to the idea and have not oh my word. actively taken part in it because I feel like I'm just barely keeping my head above the water. Anyway, in creating an insect collection mm-hmm. for the kids. And you know, if you're if you're a hunter, you gen the general rule, not always, but the general rule is you shoot the males because got big old racks on them. Well, they've got big old racks on them. Also, you can have one male elk and a whole herd of females. Yep. And you only need one male elk. Yep. You have to have a one-to-one praying mantis male-to-female ratio. Really? <laughs> well, think about it. The male mates and then dies. Oh, yeah. So every time a female... Oh, snap. Every time a female needs to... One and done. Yeah. It, you ha- it's a one-to-one. It's not mating for life like geese or people. Well, actually, technically people, it is. Till, li- till death do us part. <laughs> <laughs> but but but, oh. but it's not because I was thinking for the insect collection. Well, maybe we could find a male praying mantis. But if there's no males for the females, they don't reproduce, and they're a non-native species anyway. So, speaking of which, this is another interesting thing at Game Warden Night. Wait, they're not they're not a native species to here. Praying mantises? No. Where do they come from? No, not here. Huh. They're like a tropical plant or a tropical bug. Weird. Yeah. They, no, they're not like purely tropical because they survive here and we got Arctic winters. That's true. Uh, the game warden last night, it, last night was game warden night and Titus and I on the way home from hunter safety were like, we have been dreading tonight so much because we've got all these crunchy old guys mm-hmm. and a friendly, also crunchy older woman teaching this class. And they keep saying, well, Thursday's game warden night. Bring him your questions. Act like you know what you're talking about. And <laughs> Ted is like, oh, great. We're going to have some boring guy lecture us and read through the regs book. And it turns out to be this. I, I figured out how old he is. I think Molly had a crush on him. <laughs> I didn't have a crush on him. I walked. He walked in, though, and I was like, he kind of he's he's he, he he's was got a the, cop mustache. He, he has a full like. Five yeah. o'clock shadow over the mustache now. Nice. He was in the military from 2010 to 2015, according to the bio that he flashed mm-hmm. up on his first page of his PowerPoint, which means he graduated from high school probably in 2010, which means he was born in 92, which means he's 30. So he's Whoa. 30 year old. Hey, he's Marshall. Yeah, he's basically our friend Marshall. He loves the outdoors. He lives he in Laurel like with Marshall. his. He lives in Laurel with his dog. And in his spare time, he goes bird hunting with his dog. And and he just, he, he loves the outdoors. He also, he kind of gets the best of both worlds because he's a cop. You know, he packs a gun on one oh, side. They, yeah, they're law he's, enforcement for sure. And on the other side, he's outdoors all the time. And he has a lot of latitude in what he does. And anyway, uh, he makes this kind of offhanded comment in this in this quiz that he was doing about identifying species because it, it was a pheasant and the kids were supposed to identify a pheasant. And he goes, you know, it's so weird. They're an invasive species and people hate generally in Montana, people hate invasive species and people love Montanans love pheasants probably because they I didn't don't know they were an invasive species. They are. Guess, guess if you had to guess, where do you think pheasants originated in the England. world? China. Oh. Pheasants are from China. I don't know how they were introduced here, but I could find out. I'll bet out. the new ones all have uh, spying devices and electronic telecommunications right. brains now. Um, right. Yep. Conspiracy theories. TikTok all pheasants. Day. TikTok pheasants. Um, so, Hunter Safety, I'm trying to, I have a lot of things written down here. I even have something written down that a, that a buddy made a comment to me and I just wanted to bounce it off of you, but hmm. we, okay, don't well, we don't have to. I have a lot of things that I could talk about. You guys, we went to an Andy Gullhorn concert on Saturday night, or Friday, <gasps> Sunday night. Yep. There's a little, uh, JR's parents watched, they fed the kids dinner and watched the kids, and we drove to Bozeman and we're 15 minutes late and that's okay because it was free. It was just a church hosting an evening. With yeah, was, I couldn't tell if it was a private event or a public event, but apparently it was public because in the past you said, if this is your first time being here, where, you know, we worship on Sundays or whatever. Yeah. But, um, he, he is, I was trying to tell someone who didn't know him what this show was like. And my best thing that I could come up with is it's kind of part stand up comedy routine and part 
group counseling routine. Yeah, I don't know if it's so much stand-up comedy or it's just his way of telling stories. You know, the whole genre, the whole breed of singer-songwriter, I have a great degree of respect for because you are quite literally putting... I mean, it's not... It's not that different from us doing our podcast. We're putting our lives out there for you as, you know, maybe a little bit of entertainment. But, we, you know, we we enjoy what we're doing. And we also I think the thing with him that is also us, we value the vulnerability and the human connection that can edify and encourage other people. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Good way of putting that. And I, that's what he's he's able to see a lot of humor in his own life and his own foibles and not embarrassed to talk about those foibles and write songs about foibles of human behavior in general. So he's kind of, if you do a search for him on YouTube, the first songs that come up are his funny songs. Like he has one on teenagers and he has one on the Enneagram and he has one on skinny jeans and they're genuinely very funny, but he also has a lot of songs that feel, and his wife is actually a, a therapist. Marriage and family therapist. And also has been a Christian recording artist for 20 or 30 years. Yeah. I remember when his wife is Jill Phillips. When I was in, yeah. When I was in the music radio world, like I remember when Jill Phillips came out, she had a couple of big hits. So, and he, he writes songs for her. He writes his own music. Anyway, that was delightful. I, I, between him and then I read this article that somebody had given me a printed copy of, but I can see if I can read it, find it for you about the value of specifically singing the Psalms or reading the Psalms as a form of corporate lament, as in, in a corporate worship service using lament and not pretending like life should always be happy clappy. Mm. And he said, isn't it's a Dan Allender article. And he said this thought came to him as he was in a worship service singing a song that the words were lament, but the the rhythm and the song leader's commentary leading up to it were basically Christians shouldn't be sad in church. sort of comments. And at one point he said, I wonder if, I wonder if we did more corporate lament where recognizing our, the reasons that we have for lament that are valid, validating those in a corporate atmosphere and processing those with a gospel, corporate, Godward approach if that would mitigate some of our need for counseling because this is the counseling that a lot of us really need and so between the Andy Gullihorn concert and then reading this Dan Allender piece I've just been thinking a lot about how we I mean the the counseling world is really big right now right that that don't be embarrassed to get counseling, don't be embarrassed to get the help that you need, which I 100% am on board with. But also the idea of one-anothering and how do we one-another, and I think most Christians feel very ill-equipped to do that, and church leaders probably also feel ill-equipped to do that in a lot of cases. And what if we were to just start with being more vulnerable, but not stopping. Your mom's really good at commenting about this. You don't just stop with the griping. You have to have a redemptive element. You don't just complain for the sake of complaining. You complain towards God. That's what the psalmist does. And that's what, if you use the psalms as a template for your lament, whether your lament is sad, whether it's angry, usually it is and probably should be a combination of both, but, but put it in a Godward direction and have this template that you use corporately that trains your heart to do that. And I'll, I'll try to find, I I will find, try to find the article online. I have a printed copy of it, but I would be interested in other people's feedback if they, especially if you're someone who has benefited from counseling or is passionate about counseling as a ministry that churches or parachurch ministries should be doing 
if the idea that some counseling needs could be mitigated by practicing corporate lament more or which I guess in some ways the Andy Gullahorn concert felt like an exercise in redemptive lament in some pieces of his songs. Well, I've, I like a comedian or like an Andy Gullahorn. They have a way of speaking into situations that we're all familiar with, mm-hmm. but putting them in a relatable, this is normal capacity, you know, meaning we don't have to feel, and I think a lot of lament, a lot of a lot of the things that cause us to lament, whatever circumstances we're lamenting, or whatever thing it is we're lamenting. I mean, lamenting needs to have. I think lamenting needs to have an object. So, what are you lamenting? Um, a lot of people suffer those things, and the things they go to counseling for, they suffer those things in isolation, and they don't have. Uh, maybe this is too a simplified. Community. They don't have, yeah, they don't have the community with which to express those, or friendships or relationships with the, with which to express those and live those out and discuss those things. And that's the challenge, right? Yeah. You've got to one, you've got to have people who are open to being that person mm-hmm. for you to listen to, or for, to listen to you lament or whatever it is you want to lament on, and who will do it well without do trying well to fix and, it. Or yeah, lay and the who knows how to you. speak? Who and somebody who knows how to both, well, for lack of a better word, you know, to pastor you to to, to show you Christ mm-hmm. and give you hope, Even, while also not minimizing what you're going. Yeah, through. Yeah, sometimes giving hope is just listening without anything else added on at that but the challenge comes in you have to be a person that's willing to open up like that Mm -hmm. and i think what we i think what i've discovered at least in my world that i inhabit or the relationships that i have um is that it's not a lack of desire by people necessarily to open up is that they haven't even recognized that they um can or should or have the ability like it just hasn't even registered with them yeah. they should they're so our culture it's not even there is so past the idea of people helping people and people being a support network two two things they spring out like, of that one of them i it, the the homesteading self-sufficiency community conspiracy theory communities that i follow on are those two, are those two like together a lot? I, the homesteading if, and if conspiracy were, theory. If you were going to put that in a Venn diagram, there'd be a lot of overlap. Oh, there. funny. Um, well, why? <laughs> I hadn't put those two together well, ever. Why? I just why, it was a new fad. why do you want to homestead? It's because you don't want to be reliant on a government that doesn't have your best interests at heart. Oh, uh, I thought and it was just like this new fad, and people are weird. And stuff. no, a lot of people genuinely want. I mean, why? Why do we want to work towards having chickens? Well, I. Eggs are expensive and we eat a lot. Cuts down on costs. Yes. Also, what if, you know, what if something happens to the supply chain? What if something happens uh, to I'm not really inflation and things it's like that? Really so but I get you. So I people you. who who are looking at the world the world around them and saying, there's a lot of what, what ifs here and I'm not going to live in fear, but I'm also going to live I'm I'm not going to live in fear, but I'm going to be the ant in Proverbs, which is I'm going to be as prepared as I feel called to be while still, I mean, not all of the people I follow are Christians, but while still just trusting the Lord mm-hmm. with the level of preparedness that I feel that he's called okay, me to. Okay, so the tie with... Okay, so the tie is there's a lot of people just this last couple of weeks who have been saying the dream of the off-grid, totally self-sufficient homesteader is is a pipe dream. It's not realistic. Nobody can be self-sufficient. And for example, this gal in Canada that I follow, her handle on Instagram is venison for dinner. And she and her husband actually make their living between their homesteading and online courses that she runs for people who want to do what they do. Can't be self-sustaining if you're holding online courses. Exactly. And she knows it. That's her thing. If she says, this is my income, but I depend on a whole network of people who will, and she has products that she partners. So she partners with 
a gal who makes ceramics and then mm-hmm. she comes up with slogans and these gal makes awesome coffee mugs and people who love the slogans buy the coffee mugs, right? And she makes money off this. She knows that she makes money off of people who love her and who love what she brings into their lives. She also posted just today that they had a cow get stuck in some mud or something. And she said, my husband and I could not have gotten this cow out of the mud by themselves, but by because we've cultivated relationships with all of our neighbors, we had three men drop everything and be at our house within 15 minutes. And it was zero problems rescuing this cow. But we are not self-sufficient and we cannot be, and we can't act like we are because... Because those men came to us because they knew that if they called us, my husband would go to them. We are an Mm -hmm. interconnected network. And that's the thing. Even if you look, if you read, I know I reference the Laura Ingalls Wilder books all the time, but they're not Not as much as you reference the Supper of the Lamb. That's true. But they're, I mean, they're not self-sufficient. They move into town for the long winter because they know they're going to need community support to make it through this horrible winter that this Indian wandered into town and told them was coming. And, and they, they, they require one another to survive, even though they're homesteaders out in the middle of nowhere, living probably the ideal of what a lot of modern wannabe homesteaders believe is the dream there. It is literally impossible to be self-sufficient. I well look, a, Biblical Orthodox understanding of Christianity says we are not designed of humanity. Of humanity says we are not designed to be self-sufficient. And we're not supposed to be going back to Kelly Capic, which Anna corrected me mm-hmm. is how you pronounce it. Capic, it's not, not Capic, Capic, it's Capic. Uh, that does well. Two things. One, that design is good. It's not a faulty design that says mm-hmm. that we're dependent on other people. And the design for inner relationship is actually part of being made in the image of God. Okay. (laughs) Hold on, take a picture. Wait, wait, wait. You guys take a picture of this. You guys, we just heard this meow. And this is what's going on outside of our recording door right now. I got the picture. Okay. Hysterical. (laughs) It's the cat, you guys. Our cat, Minerva. Come on. Open and now she won't away. come in. I open the door. She runs away. She just wanted to let us know she was there. Yeah, I what left a door open. hysterical cat. She was literally meowing loud enough. Here she comes. Hi. Whoa. Uh, hey there. Being made. Okay, back to the original. Hi, come on. Being made in God's image. The Trinity is interdependent and deeply relational. So you can't. To, to try to be a self sufficient Western ideal what however you want to phrase that mm-hmm. person is to actually reject what it means to be made in God's image rather than embracing yes. the deeply relational and the deeply interconnected need that we have to be express our humanity through relationship i don't know if can you guys hear the purring in the microphone <laughs> we are crazy cat people but it's because our cats are so people. great. You guys, Molly used to have rats. So she's okay. a crazy, she's like, and she told me one day, she's like, I didn't realize I'd be a crazy cat person. I'm like, you're a crazy animal person. Those and a pot-bellied pig. Oh, that's and right. my parents were far more tolerant and giving to their kids than we are. Because I, the kids regularly ask for another dog. And I'm like, no, I, can, I can't clean, clean up after what animal live animals we have going on here um the other image that i had come to mind is it's this is going to require a little bit of explaining but hopefully it works for you guys in judo when our kids and jr started learning how to fall they learn and how to get thrown because if you look if you watch judo you see a lot of legs flying through the air as someone's getting thrown onto their back, and it looks extremely painful and scary, which is why I will never do judo. It's not painful or scary. It's painful if somebody doesn't know what they're doing. Right? Fair. Yeah, that's very true. So you start out by oh, learning what's called a break fall, and you practice on these big poofy mats, and it seems silly. Ukemi in Japanese. It seems silly, but you you fall backwards and you slap the ground. And I thought at first that the slapping the ground was for drama. 
<laughs> just for the effect. It doesn't make sense to just fall backwards and hit the ground with both hands until you understand that there's physics involved and slapping the ground is actually spreading out the amount of force that your body is absorbing as it hits the ground. So there's an equal amount of force hitting the ground whether it's just one point of impact from your body or whether it's all spread out and a ton of that force is being absorbed in the power of your hand slapping the mat. If you want to see this, so this is a funny... My parents, back in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, bought a VCR uh, camcorder. You put a VHS in it, pull it up to your shoulder, record movies. We would record all sorts of things. And then we'd play them back on our VCR by hitting the pause button. And if the if you paused our VCR and then hit pause, I, I can't remember the combination of buttons after that, but if you paused the image on the VCR. For those of you who were born more recently, a VCR was this big... Video cassette recorder. <laughs> so you would you could play it back you could play back the video frame by frame mm-hmm. and so we would record things one of the things we recorded was we filled a latex glove with water and we dropped it and we were blown away when we played that back frame by frame which would be the same as a water balloon yeah right? that glove expanded to probably 10 times its size. The force of, of landing on the ground and the energy dispersion, mm-hmm. you know, so you have a lot less energy over a much larger surface and it's a lot less painful. And so I, I've used that example with the kids in judo. Which you can ever. do with an iPhone and the slow mo feature. Yeah, you don't have to do the VCR. You don't have to go buy a VCR thing. camcorder. Yeah, I don't at recommend Goodwill. doing you that. You could probably find one. But then the cables to hook it up to your computer would be all complicated. Yeah, we used to do all sorts of random stuff with that camera. You have to find that. Anyway, back to dispersion of energy in judo. When you were talking about lamenting in community, I got that mental image of the water balloon hitting the ground. So if you are... If you are an egg hitting the ground and Mm -hmm. it's just you, you crack. But if you have... If you have a whole bunch of other people supporting you a social network if you will but a real one not a virtual one if you have a an actual social network supporting you the impact of whatever force is hitting you gets dispersed and spread out maybe among mm-hmm. as people support you and help absorb some of that impact mm-hmm. rather than if it's just me and I'm going to make it by myself and I don't trust other people and I don't need other people when when the impact comes you absorb all of that impact just in your own person rather than the force of the impact being spread out amongst people. The who next love time I have the you. opportunity to talk about judo with the kids, because a lot of times the instructors will take time to like talk to them about things or teach them about things. I'm totally bringing this up. Okay. This, that, is, great. this is why we need friends and we need to depend yeah. on other people. Um, I'm just going to throw this out there. The other thing that I've been thinking about a lot this week Going back to the hunter safety and our really crunchy, not crunchy, crusty, crusty. instructors. Definitely not crunchy. Not crunchy. Very crusty. Very crusty. In fact, they're not crunchy. One of the guys, he's a diet, the guy that walks with a big limp. Mm-hmm. He showed the contents of his hunting pack last night, spread it all out on the table. And, you know, this is my first aid kit and this is what I use for emergency signaling. And here's my flashlight and all the things. Two of them showed all of the contents of their hunting kits. And he said, I, I keep a can of, I'm diabetic, so I can't keep candy for, you know, if I have an instant, you know, if I'm lost and I need the protein and I need a high energy food, if I have hypothermia or whatever, mm-hmm. I keep a can of beanie weenies. <laughs> and he said, my can of beanie weenies been in here since 20, like 2002 or something. What? And it got corroded through and it leaked all over this table when I got here and pulled oh, my hunting pack out. So got to get a new backup can of beanie weenies to go in here. <laughs> not a crunchy person would not keep beanie weenies in their hunting pack. Oh, man. No, no. My, my, my thinking was I... I realize that several of these guys have military backgrounds and they're treating hunter safety like boot camp, which is you're a plebe, you're a noob. It's okay for me to humiliate you into knowledge, which is the kind of the method, the thinking in boot camp, right? It's, it's hazing. And 
I think that's part, that's why it has rubbed me so wrong is because you don't take an 11 or a 12 year old kid or a high school girl in a couple of these cases and humiliate them into holding a gun right or humiliate them into knowing how many feet away from them you need to store your pack if they're sleeping in bear country. Clearly they think that humiliating them into knowing this works and the motivation of passing the test and the fact that most people do pass the test tells them that their methods are working. But I've been reflecting on myself as a homeschool mom and as a parent and either correcting my kids in their behavior or trying to help them through a math problem or an English problem. And regularly we bump up into kids putting their heads on the table and just getting mad or discouraged because they can't remember the rule for if a noun ends in a vowel and then a y you just add an s to the end to make it plural but if it ends in a consonant and a y then you change the y to an i and you add es and just this afternoon i was like how do i come alongside rather than humiliate this child into knowledge that there's no reason they should know there is no reason that a kid should just know off the top of his head that you have to wear 400 square inches of hunter orange in Montana by state regs I feel to like... hunt. And there's no reason that a kid should know that if it ends in a vowel and then a Y, you just add S. And if you... So I was trying to, to say, you know, when you start at judo, you can't do all the throws perfectly. You start as a beginner. You're starting at hunting as a beginner. You're starting... Math is a beginner, and there's a learning process, and as your instructor who's so much further along, how do I come alongside you with kindness and understanding mm. rather than humiliate you because I know so much more than you, and why don't you know this, you idiot? It, it would make zero sense for a judo instructor to humiliate a four-year-old white belt for not being able to well, execute a throw perfectly. Well, and that's perfectly. something that I've been working with Titus on because he'll he's old enough now. He's been helping out with the really really little juniors, mm-hmm. and you know, make you know, helping him with his instructional method. Like, how do you how do you translate all that without sounding like a dick? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm surprised they didn't ask. Like, I've had some good courses like this and some bads where they recognize that uh, one thing that comes to mind is horse when you go on a horse ride. There's always that line of twenty horses or whatever, mm-hmm. and they're always concerned about the people who think they know how to ride and those that don't. <laughs> um, but there's generally an accommodation for people who know how to ride. It's like, hey, we understand you know how to ride. Great. Um, just so you know, this is this is the kind of riding we're going to do here. And if we say things, and I've had classes like, you know, I've taken courses or whatever, done things like this, where like, we understand that if this comes off as something you already know, great. Um, but we've got to we've got to go ahead and convey this. We got to yeah, we got to go ahead and teach this anyway. And if you, you know, so um, I'm I'm surprised they didn't go through the class and go who's hunted before and who hasn't. You know, they just assume everybody is like a plebe dumb. No, they like, don't. Well, they they assume everyone's a dumb plebe, but then they also assume. assume yeah, that's like the, that's the, like you're holding the gun wrong. Why'd you why'd you stick your finger there? You're gonna get your finger chopped off. Well, maybe <laughs> when you handed the gun That's with the, the action open thing. to the kid who's never held a pump semi-automatic I, they or whatever recommend, before. You know, they did some things that I just think are stupid. There's a few things that they've talked about, but like one of them is like, I've had I took a course once where they're like, put your finger in the chamber to make sure it's it, there's no bullets in there. Yeah, they tell the kids like, to do that all the no! time. No. You do that on a handgun, you're getting it chopped off. Nobody's going to stick their finger well, that's, down there. that's the thing, is they tell them that. They've been telling them that all week. You stick your pinky up With in the With a bolt-action rifle, that might be okay. But any other firearm? So I don't do it on any firearms. Well, so they've been telling them, actually do this with this one, this one, and this one. Right. And then, oh, don't do that. You're going to get your finger cut off. Right, there like, you go. How do you expect this kid who has never seen these firearms before, you handed them one, and then, like, you know, this kid you told to stick your finger in the action to check in the chamber to check for, and this kid does it, and you're like, you're lucky you didn't get your finger chopped off. Like, maybe... Maybe teach that instead of yell at them when they make the mistake. Anyway, uh, I just, I it's, it's find, amazing. I've found myself being reflective for the last 36 hours or so in how do I do that to my kids? How do I do the, we can get your finger cut off. You know, that stuff that raises my hackles with these crunch, crusty old guys. 
I probably do that way more in my life than I'm there aware are, of with my kids. Yeah, and there are certain segments of society, and I think probably most segments of society where old school still exists. I'll put it that way. Yeah. You know, it's still the prevalent. You and know? to be clear, I appreciate these guys and their passion for safety. A lot of them have personal stories of loss mm-hmm. for why they're passionate about hunter safety. They're doing this as volunteers and they've been doing it for decades as volunteers and sometimes are giving like last night the lady handed out some bottle cap fire starters that she keeps in her hunting pack for fire starting and she makes them herself she's got a lot of horror stories she does have a lot of horror stories but she just handed out a bottle cap fire starter to every kid in the class and then doug handed out some some safety booklets that are out of print so he has this stash of safety booklets. Anyway, I, I so, appreciate them. Yeah. I'm just learning from I, their methods of what not to okay, do. Okay, so before we close the show, Molly, there was a question to... <laughs> I didn't bring this up. So somebody suggested if we have... On Telegram, somebody suggested if we ever redesign our logo, we need to incorporate a praying mantis. Um, either headless or sitting on a toilet or something. I don't know. But So that was f- amusing. But just today, rolling in right before we recorded the show... Rachel was wondering, I think it was Rachel, how we all care for our skillets. Cast iron skillet. Cast iron skillet care. She said, one, I'm showing sign of rust. Hasn't seen water in X amount of time. But she just wanted to know. I thought that'd be interesting. That Relatively is interesting. Mildly I am, interesting. I am not a cast iron expert at all. My first thing is, if it rusts, don't freak out because you can clean rust off with with steel wool or with almost anything and then just start fresh it's not it's not the end of the world also we we've almost never washed ours which she said hers hasn't seen water so she probably doesn't wash hers much either use lots of grease heat it up after you use it to seal the 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 reason that cast iron becomes uh you know, Season. nonstick. That's the nonstick mm. is the word I'm looking mm. for. Is because every everything has microscopic holes in it, right? Because it's all a bunch of molecules stuck together. So there's tiny holes in it, and the those holes get filled in over time by seasoning with grease. And so the more you season it, and the heating seals the grease into those holes, and uh. I think Rachel lives in a place that's more humid than we do, so which isn't hard. Every place is almost every place is more humid than we are, uh, so that probably has an impact on it. But truthfully, I don't know. Google it. <laughs> look I, at, I like look at, actually look it up on YouTube. Personally, I like. I found bacon grease. Save all your bacon grease from bacon, unless you're Jewish or Muslim um, or vegan, I guess. Um, save all your bacon grease from bacon. Bacon grease does wonders for keeping things both nonstick. And what I'll do is I'll take a paper towel and I'll literally just wipe it down. I won't even, sometimes I won't even turn on the heat on low just to kind of heat it up in there. I'll literally just wipe it down with bacon grease and put it away. And it's, it's been great. I've been super happy with that. I'm, I love a good, freshly cleaned seasoned skillet. Yeah. Just, but, so but honestly, I'm. I'm not an expert here. I she would, just wanted people, other, what if, people do. That's, yeah. I mean, if I ever had a problem, I would probably look it up on YouTube. It's, well, <laughs> if she's living in a humid environment, she may not need, you know, that may be where grease hasn't sealed or that's where. Yeah, I don't know. I know Lodge, which is the big cast iron company, makes a seasoning oil. So you can start with seasoning things. Uh, and you might need to use the seasoning oil on the outside. I don't like cooking my eggs after we've done fish in it. Well, no. If if you cook if you cook a protein besides eggs in it, you need to wash it. Yeah. Don't use soap. But you need if you've cooked any sort of like if I've seared fish or if I've seared meat in oh, it. Titus, it's out there. My kids are home. Nice. You you need to actually wash it, and you can pour some salt in it and cool. scrub it out with salt. But you need to wash it. All right, guys. It's uh, about an hour in. We've talked about a lot of stuff. If you want to interact with with us on the show or anything we've had to say, if you have our numbers, you can just text us or call us. Um, but if you're new to everything, uh, the best way to interact with stuff and maybe even other fans of the show is our Telegram channel. 
I'll include a link to that group, private group on in our show notes and you just click that through. Join the group, jump in the conversations. They range from everything to everything as we've just talked about. Um, if you'd like to uh, send us a postcard on our website, you can do that at www.toobusytoflush.com or tb2f.com. While you're there, pick yourself up. Uh, people are weird and hard mug and uh or t-shirt or something we haven't talked about the people are weird and hard thing but it rings true all the time so that said anything we mentioned here uh, andy gullahorn dan allender and kelly capick we will include in our show notes so you click those links on through and find stuff like that otherwise we hope to see you next week whenever we find a time to actually record there you go 